Welcome to Death Row. Like we always do about this time. Ha ha ha! I'm gonna your fucking ass! You don't got your playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Ah, uh, there's a little snake in the grass. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. No fucking Jesus, people! I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody! Hey, pussy, are you still there? I'm back. Who the fuck is that guy? Break out the red panties. Well, rich baby. I would like to introduce. Welcome to the MMA for Money Show, episode 34. I am Bob Voss. I am your favorite garbage man. I am at MMA State of Mind on Twitter. I am joined by my co-host Mike Copenhaver at Don't Cope Just Win. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, man. Just a pleasure to be here and can't wait to talk about these Pride FC fights. Now, all you listen to this is Wednesday, so you know what that means. We are here to break down fights, talk about fights, fights past, fights current, fights going on. We are talking about fights here. Uh, If you want to check us out, we are available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, just subscribe straight to the RSS feed. We're on all those things. Uh, we already listed me and Mike's Twitter handle, but also you can follow the show at MMA for Money Show. It will post out all the links, all the awesome little snippets we got for you. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's not just the show on there. It's mini breakdowns. It's interesting little tidbits, all just wonderful stuff for you. And more and more content will be going to there going there. So without further ado, we're going to go into a little bit of UFC news in regards to some event news that has broken, and then we are going to do what we talked about doing for the last couple weeks. We are going to go over Pride FC 33, the second coming. But first, for those UFC news, according to Brett Okamoto of ESPN, 249 is happening. Not just 249 is happening. We're getting three fight cards between May 9th and May 16th. That middle card being May 13th, which I believe is a Wednesday. Uh, All those cards are happening in Jacksonville, Florida. We have the full UFC 249 card. The other ones are starting to fill in as is. Uh, Mike, how do you feel about that? I mean, we're getting 249, but we're also getting a ridiculous amount of cards in a short period of time. You know, it almost seems too good to be true. I'm just so excited to actually see some MMA combat and uh, I, I don't want to get too excited because I hate being let down. I'm a worst-case scenario kind of guy, so I always uh, just kind of don't think things are going to happen, and I'll just wait until they do, and then I'll be stoked when it happens. But I, I just I cannot wait to see some combat. I, I really believe that these guys are going to throw down harder than ever, and it's it's going to be uh, beneficial to us fans. I am with you on that one. I am I am chopping at the bit for some fights to watch. Obviously, obviously, I want everyone to be safe and all of that. My favorite post I saw was someone that, as a fan, you could like both things. You could think that you want everyone to be safe and you're not sure should they should be making these fights because of the virus and everything like that going on. And also be happy that the fights are happening. And I'm right in that wheelhouse, but just like you, I'm trying not to get too excited for the fact that there's a chance it might not happen. I hope that it does. I really, really do. At least one of those fight cards happens. Like, give me at least a little taste. I'll take 249 as long as the main five or six fights happen on that. I am good. The fights are going to be fire, too, if they happen. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. What do you think are the chances, we'll say, that it all three of those fight cards happen? And then, it, then how good are the odds you think at least one of them of the three happen? 
Uh, well, I think that we're we're definitely going to get one for sure because uh, they they want to make some money. So I I really believe if we're going to get one. We're going to get three. So I I want to be positive in that sense, but I I just don't want to get uh, too ahead of my britches because these uh, governors and politicians and everyone seem to like to dictate uh, our lives to the fullest. So I I, I don't know exactly, but I, I like I said I I really believe we'll hundred percent for one. Uh, like that's what I want to believe, and then if we get one under our belt, I, I'll be much more positive for the next two. So I just want one bad. Actually, weird little tidbit about that with the governors possibly overstepping. I don't know rules of law as is, but a uh, one of the Illinois state representatives was able to uh, sue the Illinois governor to repeal, at least for his own person, the stay in shelter order that he didn't have the jurisdiction to do that. So I don't know what that means for everybody, but uh, obviously people are slowly starting to come back in to work, hopefully. Um, and just here's thoughts and prayers and hopes for all those people out there out of a job. And just here's hoping you and your family are safe. Now we are going to get in to what we've been wanting to get into for the last couple weeks. We originally gave you guys a breakdown of how we wanted to go over the next couple weeks. We ended up a little bit off on that, given that we're going to be into breaking down fights as of next week, which we are both overly excited for. We were able to do UFC uh, 40 with Mike, breaking down his first experience being at one live. And now we decided on a Pride event to give to you all. We reminded you, hopefully you watched it. If not, you want the full effect of what we're about to talk about. Maybe pause the show, go watch the event, and come back. We're going to do some quick talks of some of the lesser known fights on there that just kind of like what happened. And then we're going to go really hard into the really, really good ones. And there were some really, really good ones. So I'm going to go do the first three fast off the break give you the what happened and i do have odds for all but one fight on this fight card i was able to find them uh going back for pride fc 33 their second time in the u.s and then after i go through those three fights i'm going to throw it back to mike see his opinion on those three and then we'll go individual thereon after the first fight was joe yo kim hansen who was a minus 850 favorite he defeated jason ireland who's plus 550 via armbar in the third round it was basically one-way traffic the whole time and he got that finish then Frank Trigg, who's a plus 275 underdog, uh, he got a unanimous decision victory, 30-27 across the board victory, over Kazuo Masaki, who was minus 350. That was a former Pancrase star. James Lee then defeats Travis View in a shocking upset. This is the one we don't have odds for, but if there were odds, they would have been fairly steep in uh, View's favor. He defeated him in 39 seconds with a guillotine choke. Um... He, James Lee had quite a ridiculous win streak. This was part of it. He fought for the UFC at one point, but lost to Alessio Sakara. Mike, how did you feel about just these first three fights? Initial thoughts. Uh, this was Frank Trigg coming back from quote-unquote retirement. He had mentioned that in the broadcast, but I looked at it only about a year, so whatever. Uh, these first three fights, where did they hit you? Well, I always love me some Frank Trigg, and uh, going back to this one, uh, you know, I, I want to see finishes, especially when you go to these Pride FC ones, so the ones that are a little bit down the road are going to be a little bit more exciting. I know the the first one, like you said, was uh, all one-way traffic, and he finally got the arm bar, but uh, Frank Trigg, you know, just could just dominated that the whole fight it was a little a little bit boring in, in that sense so i uh, these first three were just a little bit of a heat up for the uh, build up for the real fireworks that are about to come and mike is absolutely right about that especially in this next one me and mike are going back and forth on text talking about this one a little bit 
this is where Sokoju burst onto the scenes. Okay, this was his fourth professional fight, mind you. His fourth professional fight. He defeated Antonio Rogerio Nogueira with a knockout in 23 seconds. And to show you how crazy that was, for the longest time, this was the biggest upset in terms of odds in MMA history. Little Nog was a minus 2,500 favorite. And the African assassin, Sokoju, was plus 1,250. And he took him out in under 30 seconds. It was beautiful. Michael, give him more of a breakdown of the actual strikes that did it. Mike, how captivated were you were of this fight? Oh, man. I mean, I, I saw it long ago, but I, I must have forgotten just how beautiful it was to see the combination that Sokoju got off. I mean, he threw an inside uh, an inside kick, and then he switched back and threw a high kick with, with the right, and then he threw a left hook that just landed from hell, and it was it was a beautiful combination. I think he must have landed the three strikes in about a second and a half, two seconds. It, it was just an absolute beautiful performance from uh, someone, like you said, I think it was a debut uh, for Pride at that at that specific fight at that moment, and to take out Antonio Noguera is, uh, is a feat in itself. But this combination, I mean, if you love mixed martial arts, you need to go back and check out this. Uh, like I said, inside kick to he inside. I believe he threw an inside kick to Noguera's right upper thigh, and then he switched back with that same right foot, and then threw a high kick, and then he threw a left hook, and it, it was just an absolutely amazing combination. It was literally some Mortal Kombat stuff. I mean, this literally got me so excited for this whole event as I started going through it. I, I just I just started really remembering why I fell in love with mixed martial arts in general. No holds, no holds bar fighting is what we used to really call it back in the day on the forums when, when there was nowhere to talk about it. So I just loved this performance. So could you won me over a hundred times over after watching it again. Well, and like you said, and that was a stiff inside leg kick. Like there was a th- thud absolute thud and although rogerio was able to block that high kick as he did he dipped down and then immediately veered off to the other side pretty much in to the left shot that was coming and he just went down man and that was back when rogerio had like a incredible chin for the majority of his career both nogera brothers had ridiculous chins and to put him out like that. That's why Sogaju coming off of this just had so much hype. And especially when you look back on it, I mean, he had a loss going, uh, a loss on his record, but it was against Glover Teixeira uh, in WEC, but that was even before Glover Teixeira was really anybody. So, I don't know, this guy had a lot of hype. He was trading at Team Quest uh, with Dan Henderson, who we'll talk about later on the card. Ah, man, it was was awesome. Actually, if I could just quick jump back, I forgot to, to mention... One thing I was really impressed with was the fact that, okay, Frank Trigg fights, right? And then I'm not sure if it's for the very next fight, but within two fights after he fought, he was in a suit at the desk and doing commentary, which was beyond impressive. How much did that blow you away that he did a three five-minute rounds and then was there fully composed breaking down fights? Yeah, that's the professionalism of Frank Trigg and uh, how well-rounded he is. And he's just not just a fighter, and that's why he can do announcing and stuff like that. But, I mean, when you when you meet these high-level athletes uh, like Frank Trigg, like Frank Sh- or Ken Shamrock, uh, 
you know, uh, a lot of the other guys, you, you start realizing that they could do anything. And so it didn't, it doesn't blow me away that he would go and beat someone up and then go and then do an interview like he was, uh, you know, on ESPN. So it's just amazing to see, especially back then. Remember, this is, this is much, 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 much longer ago than, uh, when MMA was more widely accepted. Man of many hats, who actually has now become an MMA referee, if anyone has seen him recently on cards, doing that as well. Um, Next, not as exciting of a fight, but uh, recently we went over the Tough Six finale. Well, you know what? Before that even took place, Mac Danzig had a fight in pride. Uh, (laughs) uh, He fought Hayato Sakurai, who was a minus 800 favorite. And Mac Denzik had said it was he was his favorite fighter. Mac Denzik was plus 500. Well, you know what? His favorite fighter finished him second round with a TKO. And watching the fight, people always say that uh, the Asian fighters in general, the Japanese fighters, they didn't cut very much weight. And I do I do believe that. But this was in, this was one of the fights where the Asian man was clearly larger uh, than the American. I mean, Danzig looked borderline tiny. Uh, in there, which was a, l- a little shock to me, especially when, as we talked about in the Tough Six finale, how he just, even just Tough Six in general, he just dominated in general. Like he basically swept through that whole thing, and here he was getting soundly defeated in two rounds, taken down f- fairly much with ease in the first and in the second round. Uh, Mike, how'd you feel about this fight? Seeing it's kind of odd, obviously, that we went through Mac Danzig seeing the pretty much the high points of his career. And now we're going back to the beginning where he didn't do so hot. But where were you at for the Sakurai and Danzig fight? You know, I actually enjoyed this fight. Um, you know, Mac Danzig, he, he's a really good athlete. He was in uh, the Ultimate Fighter house the same season as my brother. And my brother always spoke very highly of him. He said that he uh, wouldn't drink alcohol, that he was super dedicated to his diet. That he, uh, I believe he's vegan. He doesn't eat meat even, but uh, he just seemed he was always super disciplined. And so uh, I, I always kind of thought of him as some kind of machine because my, my brother War Machine would kind of speak of him so highly. So I, I to go back, I never saw this fight, uh, or I don't remember this fight at that time because we didn't care about it at, uh, back then. But going back and seeing the size difference in the fight when Mac is so big years down the road in the ultimate fighter house after learning that you need a professional diet and that you need to take things a little bit more serious either way it was it was pretty crazy to see um, him get pretty much dominated and uh uh, knocked out right yep got uh pretty much clearly knocked out it was kind of surprising too because i don't know like you have opinions of certain people and i always just even later on in his ufc career so i don't know if it was a combination of jitters or you know they talk about sometimes those early career ko losses that are more just like you don't know how to fight through getting stunned because like i always thought he had quite a solid chin but yeah he, he just got pretty much laid out yeah well the the steroids uh, allowed over in japan weren't didn't help much when he was a young kid and didn't do any of that stuff <laughs> Hey, it it helps some other fighters out. We'll get to one that probably, uh, a few that maybe later Ooh, on in the card very much. Uh, yeah, oh man, way before that. But we'll we'll, we'll get to a pre. This was this was the baby's skinny stick. Uber. This was this was the, the funny part is is um when you go back because you know they show his highlights before he fought, and we'll get to that fight in a second. Um, I, I'll, we'll save it for that because I, we can we can go on. We're probably gonna go on for a while. On sorry, that. sorry. Oh, dude, it's all good. Uh, the next fight of the night was. Sergey Karatanov 
who is a minus 450 favorite. He submitted Mike Russo plus 350 by armor in the first round. For those of you who don't remember Mike Russo, if you weren't a Pride fan, granted he didn't really fight much in Pride. Uh, this he was in this. He was the uh, like not last minute replacement, but he was the overweight Chicago cop who knocked out uh, Duffy when Todd Duffy when Todd Duffy was the man and Todd Duffy was riding high getting these fast KOs and he went to town on Mike Russo until he gassed out and then he got himself got himself knocked out by Mike Russo later on in that fight what I'll always remember him for more, more than anything but uh, he actually I oh, I don't think I've ever watched this particular fight I just watched mainly the main event on this one I had watched most of these fights all separate not in an event type scenario like I had watched the Sogachu fight I had watched the Frank Trigg fight I had watched like, all those as separate pieces uh, this time I watched the whole event all the way through to get the full feeling of it I think that works well with Pride events, too, with all the pageantry and whatnot. But I just remember reading, oh, well, Mike Russo got armbarred in the first round by Siri Kotanov. Well, Mike Russo wasn't that good, so that makes sense. But rewatching it, he, like, I mean, obviously, he still got finished in the first round. So that, grain of salt. But he looked real good, man. Like, he had, he took Siri Kotanov down. He was on top for a while. He was working for a submission for a while. And then, um, I don't know if that's the right term. Um, Mike, is the term when uh, a guy kind of has your arm, but you kind of prop up, so you're standing, and he's like shoulders on the ground, legs up towards you, and you guys are kind of holding each other's hands. Is that, is that, is that when they call it stacking him? Um, I'm, I'm confused on the position. How, okay, uh, so, because uh, it will happen in this fight. So Mike Russo is standing. Uh, Sergei Karatanov's uh, shoulders and head are still on the ground. His legs are up uh, in the air, up entangled with Mike Russo's arms. So his, basically his lower back and butt are up in the air as well. So is that when... Yeah, uh, stacking okay. him. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So putting, that, the, putting his weight that, on him. Okay, that's what I thought. I didn't know the exact term, but I, I was Not pretty sure. Pretty. So so Mike Russo, Mike Russo was even stacking uh, Sergei Karatanov and... It almost like he was about to throw down a shot, and then yeah, then he grabbed a hold of that arm, arm and submitted him, and then he, well, he, he tapped for sure, and then was fighting the tap with the referee. But I do not, did not think he was gonna go that well. I remember just looking at the result and being like, oh, he's gonna get schooled and sub easily in the first round. But I'll give him credit. He 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 made me sweat for a second and kind of forget that he was gonna get finished and within the next minute or two. <laughs> so uh, how'd you feel about Sergey Kedertanov getting a submission victory? Yeah, the, the submission threw me off too. I, I I always you know you you think of him as a striker for so long because if you look back at his last like eight fights in a row, it's either win by KO or uh, knocked out by KO or TKO. It's it's all pretty much striking, and so to see him with a submission win is pretty is is pretty weird. But he does have a couple on his resume, and uh, but those were not against the the highest quality opponents. But uh, you know, Mike Russo, he he did look good. But I think uh, the you, you the jitters, the gas, you gassed yourself, and the experience of uh, Karatonov already that he had uh, definitely suited him. So it, it was it was pretty cool to see him pull off a submission because I, I I personally don't remember him doing that. So that one, those two, that one and the other one surprised me. Mac Danzig. Actually, do you want to know what I thought? What I had always thought before actually watching it, because before I. Because for the longest time, I just used sure, sure dog results. I never, or sometimes Wikipedia, I wouldn't go to like Tapology. So they would just say the name of the fin, like they would say like submission or whatever. For the longest time, I just assumed this was a uh, a verbal tap. Like he was getting punished by Sergey Karatanov, and he just tapped down because he didn't want the punishment. But 
again. Uh, that's, uh, that's so funny. That's just how our imagination plays. Oh, no, absolutely. So, okay, go into what me and Mike were kind of hinting at before. We'll, we'll set it up. So, Mauricio Shogun Hua was a minus 400 favorite because that was him at the time, and he was he was a star at 205 at the time. Uh, he finished Alistair Overeem, who was a plus 300. Uh, that was with punches in the first round. And what Mike and I had been talking about is obviously this is 205, Alistair Overeem. But you can tell he's – it's actually funny. You can kind of tell he's starting to, like, put on a little bit of muscle because they show, like, the highlight reel of his even earlier pride fights. And you forget kind of how scrawny Overeem used to be. He just got on that Hollandaise sauce. What are you talking about, man? There was that UFC interview on the UFC magazine. All he ate was uh, the that beef and potatoes diet that just, you know, makes you gain about roughly 80 pounds of solid muscle. Yeah, it's crazy. He, the the amount, him, you know, him and Barry Bonds, the two professional athletes, you watch them when they're younger. They are skinny as bean poles. I mean, obviously they have muscle, but then when the, they got on that juice, dude, they they look in prime, bro. I would borderline say that uh, Overeem, especially like Ubreem, like when you look up the photos from when he was going to fight Brock, when he was in his ultimate form of most steroids human could possibly take and still look kind of like a human um somewhat that at that point like because he i remember hearing stories that like when he was originally going on 205 he was like 220 225 early on in pride and so he put on at least 40 pounds of solid muscle and that's at least because i think there was a couple of those fights the tail end of when he was ubering that he was actually starting to cut a little bit of weight just to make the heavyweight limit which is ridiculous at the time and apparently steroids don't fix a chin yeah, performance-enhancing drugs are a hell of a thing, dude. But uh, what's really weird to see is him. Uh, I, I never really, I don't remember him searching for so many guillotine chokes. I know he was, uh, I guess, not famous for them, but he, he that was kind of his thing was uh, getting some guillotines because he w- was strong, number one, and he had he has pretty long arms for, uh, you know, he's big anyways, but I would say his size, but he has longer arms for his size division. So I, I I could see why he would go for a guillotine, guillotines, but I absolutely hate people who go for those. It's such it's pretty much a rookie move. I, I don't you know it's it's basic jujitsu type shit. So I I hate when I see it go down, and it was just funny to see Ubrim or Overeem kind of chase for it. But uh, Mauricio Hua, I mean, he's shown us time and time again. Even now, lately, we've doubted him against some of the up and comers, and he's still zombies through it, just like he did in the Pride fights. Even versus uh, a young Overeem, and uh, overcame it all because he he was outsized for sure. Oh, absolutely, height, reach. You would think maybe even punching power. Like, I don't know. It, it was it was crazy to watch, especially when you know like where they are now, or just even where Overeem is now, and even Shogun kind of tapered off a little bit then bounced back and then so on and so forth like and i i know me and mike talked about this uh before the show uh, i can't remember if we have it on the show so i'm gonna i'm gonna break into it now uh this was a fight in the states it was the second time that pride was in the states so they actually had to go by not pride rules kind of like they couldn't do uh stomps soccer kicks um just the time limits were different Ooh, all the fun stuff Oh, yeah. they, had to, they had to do three five-minute rounds and then five five-minute rounds for the main event. So, like, you took all of these fighters that are used to, even just used to that 10-minute first round and change that and take away, 
like Shogun Hua is known for stomps and soccer kicks. And even like Vanderlei Silva, we'll get to him in a little bit, known for stomps and soccer kicks. They couldn't do them. So like, I guess if anything, this fight probably would have been more in the favor of Hua if he could do some of those things. But like until we get to the, the co-main event and the main event, I guess of the ones we've talked about so far, do you think that the change in rule set, like going back to what pride rules should be, would have changed any of those going into this co-main event and main event? Uh, no, I, I probably uh, Hua would have hurt over him even worse than he did because he he laid he laid him out pretty good and uh, damaged him pretty bad. So I, I think he just would have ended up just stomping him even worse. So I, I absolutely love the soccer kicks. I'm a huge fan. Uh, the New York badass Phil Baroni, my big brother, uh, my war machine, my brother, his big bro. Uh, we're super close to them. He today posted on his IG. If you want to go check that out, it was like a 20 year anniversary of him stomping one of the Asian dudes' faces in Pride. It, it's just so much fun to watch the aggression and uh, the heart of a lion that these guys in Pride had, especially Phil Baroni, too. I, I absolutely love him and his fighting style. Even before I got to meet him with my brother, I was a fan of him. And when I finally got to meet him, uh, he was so shocked that I was actually a fan. Uh, through all of his career like in, in the sense of I never jumped off even when he started he might have lost the fight and he's just a super real dude he's one of the best fighters that I've ever seen in person and I just absolutely love him and so the soccer kicks go check out Phil Brony the New York Badass on IG and you'll see some vicious vicious pride soccer kicks like I can understand why if they would try to bring him back that they wouldn't be for it nowadays but at very least like knees to the head of the ground opponent and stuff like that it's like it would stop so much stalling on the ground when guys are just holding on in the defensive position like not moving to exactly. try to ride the timeout. well that's what the japanese didn't want they don't want a bunch of soft little fools just coming here for a paycheck they they stopped all that by having you know real wars go on so i i just i absolutely love pride i've always have and you know uh one FC now reminds me a lot like Pride, and I absolutely love watching those fights. I wish they weren't at such a ridiculous time for us, but uh, I really think in the future that they're going to have some fun stuff for us. In the co-main event of Pride FC 33 is a famous fight. It is what made Nick, Nick Diaz's name early on, and this was Nick Diaz, who was a plus 280 underdog, by the way, Defeating Takanori Gomi. I'm saying defeating. I will do the asterisk later, but defeating Takanori Gomi, who is my, at minus 360 favorite. He finished him in the second round with a go-go plata. Yes, this was later overturned because Nick Diaz had a failed drug test where he tested positive for weed at technic. The current the so commission stupid. at the time said it was so high that he must have been meaning the level was so high that he must have been high while fighting. Honestly, I, I do not care about those results. I don't, I don't care. Um, Diaz did so well against Gomi, and obviously he made his name here. Gomi was throwing those fireball shots like he always does. He was coming super hard in the first round like he always does, and Diaz was doing old-school Diaz style. I mean, I guess it's current with his brothers, but brother's a little more polished, but eating one shot or slipping one and landing two or three back and it was just starting to pile on really digging into the body which is taking Gomi's gas out and by the second round Gomi was just done like he had no energy left he's winging his fastball punches but they're missing by a mile he's shaking in between 
he doesn't even know what he's doing. Like he's like, it's so loose limbed. I mean, I know that's kind of that's his striking style, but even worse, like he was too tired to raise his arms after the end of the first round, and it was absolutely rough for for Gomi in that spot. And obviously, this is what started making Nick Di- Nick Diaz as. Uh, a cult star and getting really big and honestly like I've been very critical of the Diaz brothers a lot in the past I can't even be with this performance it was a, it was a Diaz brother actually throwing low kicks and like going for a clinch takedown and when he couldn't get it throwing in body shots like I mean a more well rounded version of what they would ultimately become and I don't, it was just a beautiful fight uh, Mike how'd you feel about it how'd you feel about that crazy crazy submission and just I just everything <laughs> minus the drug test we don't even need to talk about that because we're considering that a moot point yeah well this fight was absolutely amazing i mean if you love mixed martial arts you definitely need to go back and treat yourself to this fight uh takanori gomi i i mean i knew he was tough and i i've known that he's been a legend for a long time but going back and really watching this fight and seeing the kind of damage that he lands on uh nick diaz a few times dropped him on his ass and uh had him really vulnerable but then you got the the Diaz bros who just got the heart of a lion and, and they just they know that uh, they're just going to keep climbing that hill and climbing that hill till you drop off and that's kind of exactly what happened to Takanori Gomi once he got into the later round uh, the second round he, he just couldn't handle the pace that Diaz comes with but uh, Diaz had a really really bad cut over his eye he uh, a couple times I thought they were going to stop it just because of the cut uh, I know that I think Gomi was crying about it trying to point it out um, which is smart on his part just trying to get the the fight stopped because he knew that his his night was probably going to get ended but the omoplata that uh, Nick Diaz landed in there is just it's just absolutely beautiful man when you see uh, the way he puts down uh, Gomi's neck against his shin and it's just just pure mere pressure it's it, they called it a triangle choke I think uh officially uh, at least where i looked but it definitely wasn't uh because the you know triangle chokes are much different but it's similar positioning but either way it was just amazing performance the whole fight was awesome uh takanori gomi as a warrior i like i said he almost won that fight a couple times it just like i said he couldn't handle the pace that the diaz bros laid down and i i just it just makes me miss like i said combat and the sense of these old school game bred fighters were they were a lot different back in the day and uh it, there are only so many left uh these days there's a lot of entertainers there's some fighters but there's only so many like game bred og uh guys that want to die on their shield and i absolutely love it whether when they lose or lose uh they just go in there with their heart and that's what we want to see well and one thing that has been utterly impressive to me and you just you don't know what makes that kind of a fighter is those fighters that can just take that type of heat they can take that kind of punishment they can take those huge shots and borderline not even be phased by it where there's other guys who haven't even taken that much damage over their career and they get hit flush once and they're on queer street they're falling down to their knees they don't even know where they are and they're about to get hit again and then get finished up like it's utterly impressive to me I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's just, I, I don't, don't get it. Like the sheer difference of certain guys. Like I always joke about it with Corey Anderson, how he could be champion if he either had bigger punching power or a better chin. And he would be utterly elite if he had both. Um, but he had someone like Nick Diaz here who just, I mean, Gomi was known for his striking power and he did land flush a couple times. And 
Diaz just stonewalled him. It was utterly ridiculous. Like I, I don't understand the, the the aspect of a chin. Mike, do you got anything on that? I'm just I'm at a loss for a chin like that. No, it's incredible, man. I I, I think a lot has to do with cardio, but it, a lot of it's just genetics. I I, I can't explain that how these guys could take that much damage. Uh, even Phil Baroni was the same way. Go back, like I said, look on his IG today and the fight he posted. Some of the damage that he took while he was giving out damage, and then uh, the fight just ends and crumbles at a, a you know at a fifty seconds or something like that. But it's just amazing. I I. I always applaud these guys that can eat shots but uh, it, uh, eventually it comes back to bite you it's crazy that the diaz bros it really hasn't now in the main event of pride fc 33 second coming oh they're back in the u.s dan henderson who was a plus 215 underdog scored a third round finish over vanderlei silva the axe murderer who was minus 275 favorite it started with the left hook actually you know what i'm They'll say it started with a left hook. I do think that earlier in the third round, probably like 10 seconds before the final sequence happened, Dan Henderson actually landed a spinning back fist that was flush. And I think Vanderlei kind of backed up and moved away and was shook at that point. But then there was a combination that started with a left hook and then ended with, I'm going to say it was a forearm. Like He's coming across like it's going to be a hook, misses the hand, lands on the forearm. <laughs> Yeah, just shallow sure. of the elbow because it was elbow because they weren't supposed to elbow at that point, so that would have been an illegal finish. Just lands with it. I'll tell you what, nobody puts the coffin nails in like Dan Henderson. It's, it's ridiculous, and then that's him winning the Pride 205 pound belt, making him a double champ uh, in that organization, and him being cocky enough to that first, first double, double champ, champ. being cocky enough to be like, you know what, maybe I want a third, maybe I want to go up to heavyweight because he said he can't make welterweight. So, uh, thoughts on this fight, Mike? The finish pageantry just the craziness that was this main event well this is this is the fight that made you uh, just absolutely love you know pride fighting championships if you love Andre Silva uh, Dan Henderson this is this is vintage Dan Henderson uh, he's got just this significant final nail in the coffin strike that he goes down to the ground with like he did it to Michael Bisping too kind of it's just it seems to be his move and I swear man he's he's a vicious motherfucker dude he's not playing games he does not care if the bell rings he does he you better pull him off he's gonna fuck you up I absolutely love it and uh the left like you said the spinning back fist is what wobbled uh Delay, in my opinion uh, he definitely uh did not like what happened he started stumbling backwards pretty much immediately after that and uh dan henderson knew that he was going to come for him after that and his dan henderson's left hook and the power that he held and holds is is absolutely uh just incredible because that left hook just landed dead flush on Wanderlei's chin ended his night and he still laid another nail in the coffin to fucking make sure that he got killed and it's just amazing to see that vintage dan henderson but uh don't uh take any credit away from vanderlei silva because he could have won that fight multiple times it's just who has the heart and who has the better cardio and back then when those guys were juicing whoever had the the most juice seemed like like they gassed more and uh, that was certainly with this fight vanderlei was definitely the one on uh that barry bonds juice and uh Dan Henderson was just a little bit smaller, but still came through with the heart and then won the fight. Honestly, the ground um, game that happened in this fight really kind of surprised me. Um, you ended up with Vanderlei on top for large sections of the first round, and then Dan Henderson for the, the second and third, large portion of the top. And actually, it wasn't until the third round when he was on top that he was actually laying a decent amount of damage while on top. It was more just stalling. 
other than that um but those straight punch those straight punches that when dan finally was off his back and they got vandalay on his back those straight punches that dan lays oh, down they're they're vicious. Crazy. He, he does such a great job yeah. of and actually uh shogun earlier in the night did similar such a good job of it's like a wild enough shot that it goes over the legs and goes past any defense and just lands flush like i don't know if the guys don't raise their hands to block it because they don't realize it's going to come from that far away and it just lands it's it's impressive those two those like i was thinking about the same fight uh hula did it earlier it was those two ogs i've never seen anybody land with such accuracy and devastation through the legs passing the guard whatever they're trying to do what they're trying to land with damage those two fucking guys are they know how valuable that position is i think because they've been there they just they kind of like chess you kind of know those positions you know or, or you know those uh those moves in chess uh, to be ahead of your partner and i they that's they just know where to be or where to throw it they, i i guess but it's just fucking incredible to watch those guys sneak through those uh those strikes between those people's defenses because nowadays it doesn't seem like they land like that very often. Well, I think you had a very good point about uh, with the Bisbing knockout because of all of Dan Henderson's finishes, and he, he's had quite a few, this is the one that seemed m- the most like that. Like, knocked him flush, he fell backwards down, like completely out, even when he hit before he hit the ground, and then finishing up with like the basically forearm punch to completely take him out and it's just it's so crazy seeing a younger dan henderson because i mean you can still tell that he's had like a lifetime of wrestling like he's still moving pretty stiff but nowhere near as bad as he did later like like we joked about like i joked about nick nick diaz actually throwing a leg kick dan henderson is throwing leg kicks in this fight which i'm not sure i could tell you the last time that was a thing that i saw so it's just it's crazy to see someone more in the prime of their career before he went full all I do is knock people out mode and have a little bit more varied game and actually was willing to take people down and work the wrestling it it was beyond impressive like even more impressive than I remember yeah I I don't know why it's popping on my head but uh, there's a Joe Rogan uh, quote where Joe Rogan's like telling a some someone in a bar or something. He's like, "Yeah, I'll have Dan Henderson hold hold you down while he fucks your girlfriend." He and he, Dan Henderson goes, "Why would I hold him down when I could stare him down?" <laughs> He's just hilarious, man. Yeah, it's intense. But that that's that's Dan Henderson for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it intense. Is. That's a. I know it sounds intense, but that that's how intense he is, dude. It's like, why would I hold him down when I could stare him down? Dan Henderson, one of those people that obviously he eventually went, made his way into strike force, and then eventually UFC and had UFC fights before that and everything. And I don't know. I still don't necessarily think he was in the UFC during like his prime prime, um, which is a little bit frightening when you think about it. With how much more he could have done, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, we finally have fights back. We finally do. UFC 249 is on the horizon as well as two other UFC events. So that means we're going to be going back to breaking down cards. So next Wednesday, we will be back here to break down fights, talk about fights, do anything you could ever imagine in regards to fights. Don't forget to check us out on any of your favorite listening platforms. We are on Apple Podcast, YouTube Overcast, Pocket Cast, just download straight to the RSS feed, whatever you want to do, like, comment, subscribe to our YouTube, we have so much 
content on there that we want you guys to enjoy and love. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, the show at MMA4MoneyShow, myself at MMA State of Mind, and Mike Copenhaver at Don't Cope, that's with a K, Mike, at Don't Cope, Just Win. And with that, let's roll. Mm-hmm. 